Hello and welcome to Millions of Screens. I'm creative producer Leo Garcia, joined as always via Zoom by TV deputy editor Ben Travers and TV awards editor Libby Hill. Today's episode will be discussing the drama races at this year's upcoming Emmys. But first, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention that just this past Monday, Michael K. Williams passed away. Obviously, a- an immense loss for the television community, a uh, supremely talented actor, and by all accounts, an amazing person off screen. Incredibly sad, I guess. For a quick moment, like what, what's like the Michael K. Williams performance you go to when you think of, you know, his his immense body of work? It's hard not to go with Omar uh, from The Wire. Michael K. Williams brought such depth and and tenderness to a very untender character. His wisdom always came through in all of his in whatever character he was playing. They all they always felt very soulful. They always felt very grounded. And I think that is because of who he was as a person. And and for me, it's it's first exposure. It's 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 the wire. Oddly enough, I mean, obviously the wire comes up very quickly. There's plenty of TV roles. I know that there are a lot of cult fans out there of Happ and Leonard on Sundance TV, uh, especially that's one of his few kind of leading turns, but I thought about this yesterday when I was trying to write a little remembrance after the news broke. And I mean, not to be too on brand, but the first performance that I thought of was his minor nothing role in Gone Baby Gone, which is Ben Affleck's debut or directorial debut from 2007. Michael K. Williams just plays this random cop friend who shows up to help the main character, like kind of crack the case with some inside intel, but it's just a nothing scene. And to me, that's kind of what made Michael K. Williams so amazing. Like when you saw him as Omar with the scar on his face, with the charisma that he carried, with like kind of the attitude and, and the song around him and like Omar's coming, like all of this kind of hype. I think it would have been very easy for him to turn into an actor who was just always embodying that person and always the biggest person in the room and always like, look at me. How could you not look at me? I am that guy. And he could dial it all the way down and serve the story and be nothing like just be the support just be that kind of character actor that you really needed so it was kind of that blend of abilities to to leave an impression without stealing the scene that i was just kind of amazed by by him and uh he'll be missed it is the millions and millions of little screens can't you shut up i'm busy boy what a great show well skipping ahead to the clicker our recap of the biggest new items from this past week Ben, you've been doing such a great job of catching Libby and I up on the new TV that's coming out. Good, bad, everything in between, from The Only Murders in the Building to Nine Perfect Strangers. And there's a couple of shows coming out, returning in one case, that, that you might want to stump for right now on the pod. How do you want to start? Where do you want to start? Well, I think Libby actually watched these screeners before me. So she spilled the tea for what we do in the shadows season three. Libby, was that right? I don't remember. 100%. Um, I don't. And what did you get this season? I gave it an A minus. We've only seen four episodes. It's definitely, I don't think any of the four are kind of the, the breakout landmark episodes that we fought over in season two, where it was like, no, this is the best. Jackie Daytona is obviously the best. And Libby said something else was the best that was wrong, but it was still a great episode of TV. Um, they haven't reached that, that kind of peak yet, but it is still, it was, it's very easy to get back into that world. It's very easy to kind of admire like the sets, the costumes, obviously the performances, all of the kind of world building that goes into that show is very addictive. And 
very well done. Uh, and they continue to kind of push themselves into new territory this year. I, I will say I was kind of struck by this season's underlying current of existential dread. It just seems like a lot of the characters are dealing with kind of bigger issues about, uh, you know, they're not, they're, they're immortal. So it's not their mortality, but is, it is the elements of themselves that are, are most human um, and kind of wondering what it's all like. And there's a few scenes that I'm not going to spoil that kind of explicitly reference uh, discoveries, let's say made by a few of the characters that are very exciting to watch. Um, so yeah, I'm excited to see where it goes, but I mean, this isn't news like everybody, you should have known by now, if you haven't, that what we do in the shadows is a great comedy. Uh, we should very much look forward to all 10 episodes, right? 10 in season three. I think it's a yes. 10 episode. Okay. Um, so that'll be great. Uh, and then, uh, if you choose to watch HBO's remake of Scenes from a Marriage, the Jessica Chastain and Oscar Isaac-led production, which lit social media on fire, not because of the reviews, not because of anything that happened in the show, but because of a, a very intimate arm kiss, forearm makeout. I don't know how to describe it. It was arm, armpit well, sniff. It wasn't quite, well, there, I don't know, there might've been a sniff involved, but like the real spotlight seemed to be on that like the crevice of the elbow like what about the show it premiered at the venice film festival uh yes. all five episodes of the ingmar bergman remake uh i was lucky enough to screen them from the comfort of my own home they are gut-wrenchingly sad as anyone who is familiar with the original story would realize i'm not there there's a lot to discuss in the series in comparison to the original there are some very purposeful decisions made by writer director Haggai Levy, who like to try to to try to update this version for modern times. And some of them are successful. Some of them seem kind of inept in in kind of the revelatory sense, I guess. Like there 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 may be like an inversion here. There may be a, a switcheroo there, but they don't necessarily divulge anything as important about marriage, about divorce, about the state of long-term monogamous relationships as the original series did. And in part, that's because since that original series premiered and since that kind of honest, no holds barred look at a marriage, look at a disintegrating marriage, whatever you want to call it, premiered, I mean, an endless amount of copycats came out afterwards. And, and copycats is, is a little too demeaning. Like there's just a lot of more, there's a lot more stories to be told related to these kind of events. And, you know, to simply retell this story isn't enough to stand out from not just the original, but from the onslaught of everything else that's come since then. As we talked about on the pod, I believe the most recent season of Master of None was deeply inspired, let's say, by <laughs> Scenes from a Marriage. I was going to make a... It's fine if you want to, if you are invest in the original if you're invested in those actors you will get something out of it it's very handsomely made it's very well acted um but it is also just so agonizingly painful for anyone who's been through a breakup or a long-term relationship that the reward waiting for you on the other end may not be equitable to the to the pain that you have to do to get there we're two weeks away from the primetime Emmy Awards. Last week, we talked about comedy and all the Ted Lasso stuff that's probably going to win. This week, The Crown is the heavy. Netflix is The Crown. Can it finally bring Netflix 
the gold it wants. Then wither the Mandalorian. I feel like it's very hard to make a case for the Mandalorian winning when we're just looking at the primetime categories because <laughs> it's not in many of those. It would have to build up. But Quite. everyone votes. Everyone votes right. on drama series. No, I, I all, agree. All, all the below the line folks, all the craftspeople. Looking at the lead actress race today, I updated my predictions for the for lead actress today, and everybody seems to be pretty convinced that Emma Corrin is going to win for the crown. I don't know why. I don't know why that's a lock. I, I don't really understand. I mean, I know that she was the breakout. I know that she played Princess Diana. Obviously, I watched the series. It really seems kind of wild to me that there's not a, a, a stronger contingent of people saying that vote splitting is going to occur, at least in that category. And it just made me kind of wonder if that does happen. If Like if MJ Rodriguez or Elizabeth Moss wins that category, I don't think that the crown is going to win actor. Uh, so then it's kind of, rel- I don't think it's going to win supporting actor. Uh, so then it's relegated to supporting actress, which seems like a lock. Uh, some obviously some creative arts Emmys that it will probably win, but it may not be the juggernaut that we thought. Like maybe there's a chance. I tell me why I'm wrong, Libby. Just please. I mean, you can at least start with Emma. I don't understand why she's such a sure thing over Olivia Coleman, who did not win last year, who is an Oscar winner, who's a four-time Emmy nominee, and who's Olivia freaking Coleman. She's great. Like, why is that not a possibility? They think they already awarded her. They assume that they awarded her. I wrote that in the thing. I wrote wrote that maybe they forgot. Yeah, they forgot. I think this is like, this is a, this is like a John Hamm. This is, you know, oh wait, we forgot to give them an Emmy. I will say from my room, from my room perspective in the cheap seats, watching in real time and not having screeners or anything, Emma Corrin was like this weird breath of fresh air to the series as a whole while watching. And I think that's because you sort of feel like you've been living with the crown for forever. And even though Olivia Coleman's only been on two seasons, those two seasons feel like four seasons. <laughs> it's like, it, it, it felt, it felt like on that. I, we agree. And I think, I think it, I think it's similar for Jillian Anderson. I think they're both like, here's some, this is new energy. This is, this is different. And so you sort of, your point is well taken. They didn't award Olivia Coleman. They probably should have, or, you know, there, there's no way to do it. I don't think there's a way to do it now because in season four, it sort of was the Charles and Die show. And so like they, they were the focus of so much of it that, that it makes sense that she's stealing the vote, you know, splitting aspect. Of I it. do feel, I do feel like the Academy struggles with the crown because I forgot that, you know, Olivia Coleman was only eligible for, this is only her second, you know, she only had two years to get it done because my brain's like, oh, but this is the, their only chance to award Corin. And like, yes, but, it, you know, they only had two shots to award Coleman and they, they couldn't get it done. Uh, they might not get it done. I, I think I think it's just the feeling and that has been the feeling ever since the Winter Awards. I would make the argument, I guess, for MJ Rodriguez because... There is something very invigorating about the idea of voting for MJ Rodriguez because she's a great actress, because she has accomplished something great. But I know it might it might be Moss. I mean, she couldn't get nominated last season, but maybe it's Moss. I mean, there's a huge tidal wave of The Handmaid's Tale 
in terms of the sheer number of nominations that makes it seem to me like it's going to win something of note, but it's hard to pinpoint exactly what that might be. But again, like getting back to kind of my hopeful concerns around the crown, uh, that SAG awards race is something that speaks to me, like in terms of, in terms of thinking MJ might be able to win this thing or, or, you know, another actor in general, because they had a three-way race between the crown stars and Jillian Anderson won. It's like the supporting actor actually beat the two quote unquote leads. And, you know, they've had time to separate those categories now and, and kind of, you know, let things become what they are from a narrative standpoint, from a campaign standpoint. Um, but it, in the end, it does still come down to just who the voters like and who they want to give an Emmy to and who they think did a remarkable job. And it does just seem like, Olivia Coleman could siphon a lot of those votes and Emma, like you said, could siphon a lot of the votes, just like, just like Leo laid out. Um, and that would create the vote splitting scenario that somebody else could win. I just also think, I guess, from a personal standpoint that it would be absolutely insane if Claire Foy won twice for this show, including her, I think it was her second season on the crown. And then as what's basically a cameo appearance and guest actress, which some people think she can win this year. So if Claire Foy wins twice and Olivia Coleman doesn't win at all, I'll just, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what to say about it. That's insane. That would be insane. I just, I just think Libby is absolutely right, Ben. Like Olivia Coleman has been such a mainstay at every award show over the course of the past three to three years that people are probably just like, oh, we must have already given her an award. She's gotten other awards. We know everyone knows how good she is. And I just think that like, it's the new kid on the block syndrome where it's like, and you also know the SAG race, like who was second? You don't have, they don't, do they release the voting tabulations? Like if Emma Corrin's second in that race. Uh, Laura Lenny was second in that race, but. Oh, please. <laughs> okay. I, I, sorry. This is my, this is my weird tangent about why maybe the crown isn't impervious isn't going to be like the end all be all i feel like the tv academy has gotten a little more let's spread the love around in certain categories over the year especially if they've had some time to kind of sit with different shows because the crown have been out for so long because we've talked about it as the front runner for so long perhaps that kind of creates enough of an of the air in the room where enough people are like you know what it's still been very well respected we'll give it it's doing drama series but we're going to vote for other people elsewhere and, and just share this thing. So right now I, I am betting on Corin just because of the conventional wisdom. I think MJ's a good shot. And then the other categories. Yeah. Jillian, I think is one of the few in one of the few categories I'd consider a lock, even though I'd love to see obviously friend of the pod and Dowd win as a precursor to her Oscar campaign. Let's not forget about mass. But yeah, I, I don't know. What, what else do we want to talk about? Libby, what, what are you interested in in the drama races? Um, make, your, make your pitch for best actor, Ben, because that looks, and I see, a, a, and again, I'm on Gold Derby, but I'm seeing a lot of people picking O'Connor, which I don't, I don't know if Corin's strong enough to pull him in. I, you know, I'm, I'm very confused. I think Bridgerton's moment has passed inexplicably. Maybe Billy Porter, but I mean, he did have the tapes, but I don't know. What do you, what's your gut say? Uh, my pitch is reggae. Uh, I really think that I, I agree with you in that Bridgerton is kind of passed and it's at its moment and it'll be, it'll be kind of just uh, happy to be at the ceremony, but because it seems like that's the case with almost everybody in this category, 
I feel like the only way Josh O'Connor wins is if the crown sweeps. I just don't feel like he, I feel like if there's a, such an outpouring of support and love for that show that he gets swept up into it, then great. And if they want to have, you know, Corin and O'Connor, like you mentioned, kind of together at the winner's circle for the photo ops and all that, and kind of a crowning achievement for their coupledom. Great. I could see it happening, but you know, Jean page, he's done. Like he's not coming back to Bridgerton supposedly. So this is their only shot to let him win. It's a similar argument that we just made about Corin, where it's like, she's new kid on the block. You're really excited. You want to be the first to, you know, anoint them, put them out there. Porter could win again. I think Pose is another one of those big question marks where it got nine nominations, the most it's ever gotten, but that's not that many more than it got in its first two seasons. So it's not like it's suddenly something that has to be recognized. Um, yeah, it is It is one where there's a lot of question marks surrounding it. Obviously, I'd love to see Jonathan Majors or Matthew Reese or Sterling, obviously always Sterling win, uh, but I think those three are probably the least likely. And then you've got, yeah, Porter O'Connor and Paige. And I'm I, right now I'm betting on Paige, but it could change in a week. I don't know. I, I guess I'll go with, I guess, Porter for now. I don't know. It's hard to read. I, I mean, it's I'm struggling with the drama nominees this year. It's not the smarter no side of my brain. In after. The, the smarter, like neutral side of my brain says, when in doubt, bet on the crown because yeah. of everything we just talked about. But part of me just wants to reject that. So we'll see if the logical impulses went out come every night. Well, you mentioned that the crown would probably have to sweep in order for O'Connor to win. And I don't think that's necessarily true because I do think that if there is a weak spot in all of the crown acting nominees, it would be Tobias Menzies in supporting actor. And I think right now, even before his death, Michael K. Williams was the quote unquote favorite to win this. I don't know if if Tobias Menzies not winning supporting actor means that Josh O'Connor can't win actor. I think, I think, I think the, again, the, the, the Charles and Diana storyline was, would be enough to, to pull him up. Tobias Menzies is largely non-factor for me. At least they categorized, categorized him correctly as a supporting actor because he definitely had a, a lesser role this year. And Hey, I like Tobias Menzies, but I don't, I don't see him winning and i hope it's michael k williams i really do it feels kind of like a two-horse race i guess there's always the the chance that we're both wrong and it's giancarlo esposito and and that would and that would maybe make ways in ben's idea that the mandalorian could take this take drama if he won now yes if giancarlo esposito won supporting actor Let's create that buzz. Let's put he's it in the, the universe. He's the only Mandalorian actor in the primary four acting categories. All I'd say about this category is it's similar to the actor category for me. This one is more of a wild card because there's eight nominees. And again, like it's easy from a narrative, like thinking of the Emmys as a narrative, thinking of it as like, okay, so how is this going to come together? What are, What does this mean? Like, where is the support? It's very easy for me to just be like, listen, Tobias can win this because people love the crown and this, and they've waited four years for the crown to have its night. Uh, they're going to just give it everything and won't be done with it. And that's, that's easy to do. But like we talked about, I mean, and plenty of people are going to mention this all the way up through the ceremony as they probably need to, but voting closed before Michael K. Williams death. So that's not going to be a factor on whether or not he wins. I had him as the front runner before then. I think most people did, like Libby mentioned, I do expect him to win this because again, I expect there to be a little more love being spread around than just seeing the crown sweep. But 
because that still remains a possibility because the, the crown could still do its thing and just run the table with this sort of stuff. Um, it's there, but like the supporting act, if that's not it, like if, if you open the door to, Hey, it's not always going to be the crown, then the door is wide open to so many people. I don't think it's just like Michael K. Williams, Bradley Whitford, Giancarlo Esposito. I, I think John Lithgow could win this thing because he's John Lithgow. Like, yeah. I think in the supporting actor race, you just don't know. These are these are people who have nominated Chris Sullivan twice. I don't know how to predict their behavior after something like that happens in consecutive years. So I, I, I think if you open the door beyond the crown, then things get very messy and you know, as a predictor, I don't want that to happen necessarily, but as somebody who loves chaos, when it comes to award shows, bring it on Mandalorian, steal that title. No. So you mentioned that, uh, the handmaid's tale has this, uh, this sort of raft of, of nominations. Is it possible? The big award it wins is directing where you could award, uh, noted documentarian Liz Garbus for the finale of the season. I mean, it's up against two Crown episodes, John Favreau for The Mandalorian and uh, I believe the Bridgerton pilot, but maybe not. God, this is absolutely going to be like one that goes to The Mandalorian and we're all going to be like, what the fuck? It is the Bridgerton pilot. Typically, we talk about vote splitting, but I believe one of the Crown episodes nominated is Fairy Tale, which mm-hmm. I think is the wedding. So, I, I mean... I think if they see that and they're in love with the crown, like that's what's going to win. But like, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I don't know. I'm, I don't know where I'm at with Handmaid's Tale. I think there's a lot of love for it within the industry, more love than maybe we understand, but I don't know how much of a threat it is. I think when it comes down to categories where it feels like a showdown between the crown or handmaids that the crown will generally win because you know, maybe they've decided this is the crowns here. Uh, I don't have much sense to talk. I generally agree with you. I think if, I think again, the safe money is on the crown in both directing and writing. I would expect fairy tale and war to be the picks there. But again, like, I, I don't think these are as reliant on a crown sweep as some of the, as some of the actors, or I should just say the men of the crown, because, you know, again, you could see the crown winning drama series, directing, writing, two acting trophies, you know, X number of creative arts. And that's an impressive showing that is like, okay, we are behind the show. We love the show. It got its due. It waited, it waited a while. It got its due. And that's, and that's where it gets its wins because the Mandalorian wasn't nominated for directing last year. I don't know how much of a threat it is in the directing category. Like I, I, I think if it, it obviously has support from that faction, from that, part of the Emmy base of the voters, but I don't necessarily see it as like, yeah, yeah, yeah this is definitely the one that's going to win. I would be slack jawed if it won drama or I'm sorry, if it won writing instead of directing. But uh, again, that's assuming it's going to win one. Whereas, yeah, I know <laughs> two, two writing nods. That's unbelievable. I mean, it's great and it deserves them. And the people who voted for that should you remember can't even keep up. You can't even keep up your own charade, which is the worst part of this. Voting's over. It doesn't matter what I say anymore. I, I think the crown will probably take both of these and um, that'll be fine. Do we want to talk about those guest categories? Because there's some very fun stuff that could happen in the guest, uh, guest actor and guest actors. If you had Don Cheadle and Claire Foy win, that's like a combined 
uh, I don't know, six minutes of screen time for those two awards. If oh, that, that I'm not even sure. I'm not even sure of my work. I mean, it's really, it's really leaning into the guest aspect of the category. We're like, you're just driving past that show. <laughs> I feel like, you know how we took, uh, actually, let me make this hypothetical. You know how people at offices take um, like training sessions over uh, the internet and they have to like kind of watch a little video before they can click through to the next part. It would be great. Do I? Some, <laughs> it, would be, it would be great for some of these categories. If you had to watch a little video before you could vote that like clearly defined what the category meant. So it's like, we're giving them an award as, as a guest actor on the show. Like as somebody who just kind of popped in, did their thing was unforgettable and here's the award or it's like, no, 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 we're giving them an award for the best performance that qualified as a guest actor on the show. Like there's just so many different ways to interpret what it is that I think a lot of people, it just comes down to, okay, here's my favorite. Like, I just really like Ron Cephas Jones and Bradley Whitford. Um, Not to say that neither of them didn't deserve. That was a lot of negatives. They both deserve their wins, but like, yeah, looking at it this year, when you've got Timothy Oliphant for The Mandalorian, who's in one episode and out, Don Cheadle, who famously made the mockery of, of the nomination, just being like, I don't get why this happened. But then you've got somebody like Charles Dance from The Crown, who's been in it for a while. Like, he's he's a big part of that show. He's also very well respected. He's somebody who, like, as soon as you see the face, you know who it is and you remember him from X number of things. Probably most people think of Game of Thrones. Um You've also got somebody like Courtney B. Vance, who was kind of billed as a lead of Lovecraft Country when it was coming out before a twist at the beginning session of it. So like, there's all these but, different ways to still, kind of interpret. Still in multiple, shows up in multiple episodes. Like he is <laughs> across, across the season. Yeah, the rules, the rules for guest is kind of what makes this a little trickier to judge. It's not like back in broadcasts heyday when somebody would show up as an actual guest star for one episode, they'd market the shit out of it and they'd tune in that week to see them for that one week. And maybe if it was super successful, they'd come back next season or, you know, they'd give them a two episode arc or something. Um, This is, it's, it's been stretched. Like everything's changing everything like it it can be very different and again like the people competing in this aren't necessarily like even if you just look at the two actors from the mandalorian timothy oliphant and carl weathers those are very different roles in the show like they serve a different purpose uh and you know if you're looking at quantity over quality or if you just take quantity into consideration when you're making your pick that's going to change things so um so yeah i i these i I will say i will say of all of all the races, these two for get like these two for drama guest actor feel like they're the most any name out of the hat. Anybody could win. Anybody I, could win. I do love that when you're that you have to be like may you know consider screen time you know when making your choice, but you have to consider if someone has too little screen time or if someone has too much screen time. So it's not just like one. We're not we're not getting, but it's like. Do they only have three lines versus have they been in every episode of the series so far? Well, they had the they had the famous um, was it Peter Capaldi on Veep who was nominated? Then they found out that he couldn't qualify based on the rules, so they had to retract the nomination. There was like this whole mess that's that's related to these restrictions that are implied on this category, and it's just imposed on this category. But it's just that's the thing. Like part of me almost wants to lean in. Uh, Again, I love chaos, so take this with a grain of salt. But and say forget 
the the minimum, look at the maximum. We're talking about a guest star. If they're on there too long, they're not really a guest star. Then they're then they're a supporting player who just fit into this category. Look at the true guests. Look at the people who showed up for one episode. Look at Don Cheadle and consider, do I want to give him an Emmy for his couple of lines in The Falcon and the Winter Soldier? If you answer that question, yes, then I would love to hear your rationale behind it. If you're, you know, that just seems crazy to me, but uh, at least you're giving yourself a parameter that makes sense. Peter McNichol, Peter McNichol. I believe. Yeah. Um, and I think it was like he showed up in another episode in like the background and I don't think he had a line or something like that. It was wild. You have to have been the only rule it seems to say here is that you have to have performed in less than 50 percent of a program's episodes at, like that they that they submitted for that season. So you could be you could be a primary character in half of a season and then still be a guest Actor, right. I so, guess. so the Peter McNichol controversy was uh, he was disqualified after the TV Academy determined the actor had appeared in half the season's episodes, saying in a statement, HBO's guest actor entry for Peter McNichol was accurate at the time of the submission deadline, but he was subsequently included in an additional Veep episode. Unfortunately, that additional appearance places him in 50 percent of the season's episodes, which makes him no longer eligible to compete. Uh Peter Scolari replaced McNichol on the ballot and went on to win the Emmy for his appearance on Girls. But then Again, I believe only only proving how crazy these categories is that the person I who mean, was likely sixth on the nomination sheet won. Sometimes Peter Scolari is great, but yeah, it's uh, yeah, it, that's it's like Ethan Hawke. I really am still convinced that if Ethan Hawke had gotten nominated in Best Actor, Outstanding Actor limited series he would have won but we'll talk about that next week nominated that's that's for next week libby when we talk limited series okay i will save all my hamilton regripes for them <laughs> millions of screens the production of fancy media corporation and indiewire our theme music featured excerpts the classic youtube video bjork talking about our tv and willie wonk in the chocolate factory editor-in-chief is Dana harris brights and our publisher is james israel and we're still in search of an executive editor. These are the two shortest things I could find for guest actor. Brad Pitt was nominated last year for just doing the cold open as Anthony Fauci. If I remember correctly, that scene was way too long. Uh, it, prob- <laughs> it probably was, but it says that it, it, was, yeah. it says it was under it was under two minutes. But here's one that I am not familiar with, and maybe you guys can fill me in. Ellen Burstyn was nominated for an Emmy for a 14 second performance for Mrs. Harris. An HBO movie? She spoke two lines, totaling 38 words. Is I'm this real? I'm going to what this Mrs. Harris is. Nominated for Outstanding Supporting Actress in a Limited or Anthology Series or Movie for 14 seconds of screen time where she played a former lover in a flashback scene. That's even less than Don Cheadle. Don Cheadle was in more than 14 seconds. Person said when she got nominated, I thought it was fabulous. My next ambition is to get nominated for seven seconds. And ultimately, I want to be nominated for a picture in which I don't even appear. I love her. Oh, yes. Yeah, that's great. You can find us on Twitter at Million Screens at Midwest Spitfire at Ben T. Travers and Leo Adrian Garcia. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play. Slow your review and let us know what you think. This is Ben, Libby, and Leo remind you as always that you shouldn't let poets lie to you. You shouldn't let poets lie to you. Ain't nothing wrong with a couple of cold brews and a cool podcast. <laughs> <laughs>